welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy. Joined by the regular rugby crew that is Sam and Westy. We're back with some URC action and, of course, some Six Nations preview uh, ahead of this weekend's return. Um, but as always, we'll check in with the lads first. Westy, how are you? You're, you have a d- demonic camera on our Zoom here. It's crazy. It's all over the spot, but you're still here. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, I, I, things I go through to show up to this podcast um, whenever I feel like it. Um, yeah, no, I'm pretty good. Um, had a busy weekend. I was down in Calaire for a night. I was at home in Mayo for a few nights. Um, and then we had a, a league semi-final on Sunday. Um, came from behind, came from 20-0 down at halftime to win in the last uh, second of the game. We uh, had a try held up over the line with, um, I think, two or three minutes to go. Uh, they went for the 22 dropout. One of our lads charged it down and caught it. Um, and then we barreled over a couple of phases later. So it was a pretty dramatic finish to the game. Uh, wow, that's, they were sickened, that doesn't happen we, very often, I'd say, does it? <laughs> yeah, we're trying the reverse Italy. You know, we play shit. We don't even play in the first half. And then we just really kick off in the second half. Yeah, that uh, maybe for the final play the first half as well. <laughs> you, might, you might win pretty right. easily. We didn't get here with that kind of strategy. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if we have the fitness for a full 80 minutes. <laughs> Like, truthfully. Um, yeah, so I'm a little bit battered and bruised, but uh, yeah, no, I'm feeling good. Um, how, how would you rate your own performance, Westy? Um, yeah, I didn't have a great first half, to be honest. Um, but I kind of woke up a bit in the second half, won a few good penalties, a few good turnovers. Um, yeah, made my hits. So yeah, it was pretty good. Pocock, Dave Pocock-esque? Um, he wishes he was me. Come on. I heard three key turnovers. I mean, to, to say they were game-winning, um, would be, <laughs> say they were league winning would be no short of uh, spot on. Would yeah, uh, Ty Byrne in his prime. Yeah, you, you just need to get the blue scrum cap. And then, I, yeah. I have a so I got I got it online. It's like a blue kind of camouflage pattern, blue, white, and kind of navy. So it kind of matches, kind of matches the jersey. Um, are the op- are the opposition like I can't see that guy? He's so goddamn yeah. camouflaged. Where is um, between the between the beard and the hair and the scrum cap? I'm just eyes running around the pitch. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing, actually. I want to address. It's really hard to get like different scrum caps. Like nowhere sells. Like you can get you can get blue or red or black. Even the white one is hard to track down. As as Mac told us in the podcast. Well, yeah, I wanted to get a white scrum cap for the podcast, and like it was like uh, was it like a hundred plus euro? Some like eBay, some some weird fucking thing. I, was like, I don't understand why. You know, I'm all for a joke, but like, I'm not spending the money <laughs> to do that. I don't understand why like BLK or these lads don't do like novelty scrum caps. I'd love a scrum cap with a Connacht like eagle on it, or you know, like I'd, I'd love that shit. I this was the best I could do. If you could get a scrum cap of your actual like a picture of your hair, so that you're wearing a scrum cap, but it still looks like you're not wearing a scrum cap. Do you know what I mean? Like those? Uh, <laughs> do you ever see those like uh, woolly hats that have like the spiky hair on top, so it looks like you're uh, yeah. That's, that, How about that this? You. How about you sponsor my scrum cap for next season? Yeah, I'll sponsor your scrum cap for next season. Oh, many, you'd have black. to get it made though. You'd have to get like a white, a black one with the with the podcast logo on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm down for that 100. percent Yeah, and Sam, now you're a forward. Uh, you can also do that. I I've been all over this year. I've been scrum half. I've been flanker. I've been center. So who knows where I get played now next week? That's you, if I get played. You really have been a master of none. You really have lived Absolutely. up to the podcast title, and I, Sam, I appreciate that. I appreciate and hundred percent not mastering any of the positions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, how was your weekend, Sam? It was okay. I actually actually missed that game. Unfortunately, couldn't get a babysitter, and the baby had vomiting bugs, so it wouldn't have been fair on a babysitter anyway to have her or to have someone over and minding a baby with vomiting bug and to pass it on because everyone she's come in contact with outside of me for the last four days has it now. Uh, her grandparents, her mother. Everyone's fine. I'm kind of waiting Stay for it to the happen. Hell away from me, so yeah, I'm waiting for it to happen. So I'm kind of two days behind everyone because I didn't see her on uh, Thursday or Friday. So I'll probably end up having it tomorrow if, if it seems to be going. But hopefully, I missed that kind of uh, that period where it's not where it's not contagious, or I missed that period of contagion, and now I just get the the other side of it where she starts to eat a bit more and starts to become herself a bit more. But yeah, good. And now I missed the match. But hopefully now I have a babysitter organized for next weekend for the final, which will be huge. It'll be great. Uh, my first final for Corinthians, because the year I first started playing, we got the final, but I was away in New York. And the second year after I broke my leg, they got the final. They won it. And we haven't been in the final since. So, yeah, look, maybe maybe you're the problem, Sam. 
Again, that's it. It's just, can't go sports ground, can't go Corinthians. Like, so, I got to give up. Sometimes it's, you know, like Taylor Swift said, you know, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. You know, that's 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 a bit like you, Sam. Um, my weekend I was... She meant it with a bit more like, I'm a boss problem. Not like, I'm literally the issue here. Like, I think she meant to come in like, I'm going to be everyone's problem because I'm a boss. Not like, I can't go places because I'm unlucky. Yeah, I can't support my teams. <laughs> I don't think that's an issue for Taylor Swift. Uh, I had a pretty... We had a good weekend. My mother and my two sisters came up uh, on Saturday night, went for food. That's why I had to leave the Connacht game or watching the Connacht game at halftime. And I was confident that Connacht were going to hold on. Uh, actually, I wasn't. I, I was. Pre- so I said in this WhatsApp, I said, please keep me updated because I've seen this I've seen this play before. It doesn't ter- end well. Um, I had a few pints again on Saturday night and it wasn't too bad Sunday, actually. Uh, but I think I need to find a new pint. Um I don't know, Guinness, it's just, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's worth it, the aftermath. Do you know what I mean? so good, though. It is but so good. There was a while there where my stomach was really at me, and I went to Smithix, and I'm a big Smithix guy. I, it's, a lot of people drink it, and there must be something to it. So maybe I will. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll dabble in the Smithix, but I don't know. Guinness is such, Guinness is just so aesthetically pleasing. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, it just looks, it looks proper. I don't know how to describe it, but... I'm not huge into beer, but uh, I do like a lot of those kind of Galway Bay breweries and those sort of slightly kind of craft beers. I don't know, not all of them, but the Galway Bay ones that I've had are quite nice. And a couple like the Galway Hooker and stuff is quite nice, but I'm not I'm not massive into beers. I don't like Heineken or Carlsberg or any of that anymore. It just wrecks my stomach. But Guinness is my usual go-to, and if not, I get one of them. Speaking of Galway Hookers, a little transition into the Connacht game where Dylan Tierney Martin scored a hat-trick. What a transition. Come on. Unbelievable! That is That's unbelievable. So seamless. You you, you pay a big two Galway hookers. Owned a butler also. Yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. But we'll we'll get to the, the, the URC. Uh, Connacht uh, had a, a huge win against Zebra, fifty-seven points to thirty-four. Ran in nine tries, uh, six conversions, no penalties, and yet, in classic Connacht fashion, it was far from comfortable. It was far from. Easy to watch at times, but we, we got there in the end. As I said, three tries for uh, Tierney Martin uh, scored the opening three, which is now four hat-tricks uh, this season. Uh, four hat-tricks in a row as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. which is crazy. Tierney O'Halloran's got on the, on, the, on the score sheet. Blade, uh, Kilgallen, he just seems to always score when he plays. Uh, Burnsy got in on the action too, Marmo. And then, of course, debutante uh, De Butler uh, got in the action as well. Um, so, look, a huge five. On paper... This was exactly what we wanted uh, as Connacht fans. We wanted a five-point, uh, a big score put up. As uh, I said, like, it's a 23-point win in the end. But anyone who watched the game, and as I've seen it back now, Westy, this was um, a classic Connacht roller coaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, it certainly wasn't. You couldn't really relax at any point. Um, so kind of like, so I was actually traveling for the first half. So I was being fed updates. And then I got to where I was going for the second half and turned it on just as Kilgallen scored the try. Um, and then we started conceding and I kind of felt like I was Sam or somebody because I thought maybe I was the curse. I was the reason Zebra had started scoring all these tries. Um, and I text you guys, I said, Jesus, how did we ever end up, you know, 30, uh, 20 points ahead? What was it, 31-7 uh, or 31-12 at halftime? Um, but yeah, then I actually, since I've gone back and watched the first half, and we actually weren't, that dominant. I think possession was about 52-48. I think they spent mo- more time in our half than we spent in their half. And they were actually creating good chances, whereas you know those three Tony Martin tries are really good, but they're all come from our lineup from driving mall and maybe from scrum penalty as well. So like it's when you look back at how we actually I don't think the scoreline at halftime reflected the performance of each team. I think it was a lot closer in terms of performance than that. Um so I actually wasn't really surprised then watching it back. Well, obviously I wasn't surprised when Zebra started scoring because I knew it was going to happen. But based on their performance in the first half, I wasn't too surprised that they hit a purple patch and were able to um, able to capitalize maybe on some of their possession and territory. Like they, they really went out there and fought for it. Um, but yeah, we, we showed kind of our, our resolve and, and pulled away at the end and, and were able to uh, pile on the pressure at the end. I know they're kind of... Um, what do you call them, pointless scores or whatever. But, I mean, in terms of our points difference, it makes a difference. And for our own confidence, to survive that comeback and then to push on at the end and still win by, what was it, 20, 20 points, 23 points or something we won by? yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge boost for our confidence. That's exactly what we need to do, right? It's a tough... These two games are tough because they're in the middle of the Six Nations. Guys aren't playing. Guys are back from camp. 
Um, so it can be tough to kind of um, to capture that momentum that you would have had kind of before the Six Nations break. So the fact that we went there, got the job done and got our five points was brilliant. And I don't think, um, apart from obviously analysing our, our errors in defence in terms of improvement, I don't think we can, you know, again, same old story. If, you, if you're off at that result before the game, you take it. You take it every day of the week. You don't even worry. No, I totally agree. We'll get into it in a second. But Sam, what, what, how are you viewing that game now a couple of days after it? Same way I was viewing it before. I said it a couple of weeks ago that the last five games, this Zebra game, then Dragons in isolation, then we've got Edinburgh, uh, Cardiff and Glasgow. I said that those, because they were all must-win games, you had to treat them like finals. And if you win a final, you win a final. That's how it is. I think the scoreline, the points difference thing might come into it, but it's very unlikely that points different ever really plays into it because of the bonus point system in rugby, that there's so much dispersion between points. So I think that you just look at this game and you go, snatch and grab. Italy is never an easy place to go, regardless of what our results are. I never have a nice time watching Connacht in Italy. It's never the five-point easy victory that we're supposed to get against the bottom of the, the table. Zebra were smart. They used the heat. They used the moving the players across the pitch. They kept it lively. And like Wesley said, it was closer in the first half. But where we were dominant were the things that we've been good at all season, which was our, uh, our mauling, our lineouts, our scrum. And then we had the resilience to not concede and lose the game, which Connacht of old probably would have. We They came back to within four points and then we pulled away again and we got those couple of tries. We had our bonus point. We pulled ourselves up into the top half of the table. We've given ourselves much more opportunity now with the results that went the way and the teams that are playing each other this week to jump up again into seventh in the next couple of weeks. And we can then make a push for Europe. So the way I see it is with the optimism of it was a final who cares how you win a final? You win a final, you win a final. Like, you know, Super Bowl last week, Chiefs don't care that there was a dodgy call at the end. They won the final. Any penalties in a soccer game, you win the final. It's you get the trophy. And that's how we had to view all these games. We're viewing them in isolation. They were all just must win, take them one at a time. Yet, there's a lot to learn. Yet, there's a lot of disappointing elements to the game. But overall, you've got a Tierney Martin hat-trick. You've got the Butler making his debut and scoring. You've uh, Niall Murray who was the only cool head during that rough period. I was really impressed by how he stepped up. He took the ball. He didn't do stupid things when it wasn't going our way. And what Zebra did was frustrated us. They didn't let us have the ball and they didn't let us use it for that long period of time in the second half. And Naimare was one of the, the bright sparks in there. And then I thought Marmion was really positive when he came on. He scored his try. So all in all, I'm positive about the results. Yes, there's questions to be asked with the performance, but I think this year has just been such a feckin' helter-skelter that However we get over the line is however we get over the line. And that's just the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, look, I agree. There's a lot of positives, obviously. I said this five-point win, it's exactly what they needed, um, you know, with, with a couple of games left. But it's just, why does it always, it always seems to happen? There's always, as I said, we, at halftime, we all knew that there was going to be a, a purple patch, if you want to call for Zebra, but it's more like Connacht just being, uh, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. Like, I'd say, what, what, Zebra scored 34 points. I'd say, uh, genuinely, what, 21 of those points were four, from Pure? Four scores. Uh, no, but I'm sweet. saying, I'm saying, like, the, the, of all their scores, a lot of them came from Connacht just mistakes, like, well, from the restart. Four were straight from kickoffs, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, so they, oh, so they were yeah. literally all, but yeah, so all of them were from, from like, just, yeah, restarts. Like, it's just, yeah. uh, but, like, what annoys me, and, and, like, a lot of Connacht fans are annoyed about it, too, and they're right to be this is a known issue and it's never it's never been dealt with it's, it's never been talked about obviously from from players why hasn't this been fixed why isn't there a plan in place like okay we'll get research just kick the ball out out of the touch you have a really good line out that's that you know is, is a weapon like they just kill themselves like this game should have been the so easy and it just wasn't and like I wonder, I remember Conor Glasses had a, a a mental performance coach, Jack Berthwistle, I think his name was, and, and he left and he's gone to, I think, Harlequins. Harlequins. Yeah, Harlequins. Yeah. They don't seem to have one now in, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but they don't seem to maybe have a, you know, like a, a sports psychologist kind of role in with Conor at the moment. And I wonder if it's something they should look into now with this new new coaching staff, because there is something going on in there. Like, like Zebra... They knew exactly that if they just hung around, they were going to get opportunities, and because they know of Connacht's, you know, history, and it's again, like I understand people saying, you know, they had a few weeks off, but this is not a once, once off situation. This is crazy. This is, 
you're just giving team like they, like they score a try and then within what 30 seconds concede off the kickoff and you're like god it's just such a momentum killer and like like this game again it, it was easy in the end or it was out of sight at least with the, with the, with the scoreline but god if you're kind fans I, I totally understand the frustration because it's not it, like 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 look at Munster Munster had a terrible start of the season they've turned it around completely they, like they they dealt with the issues they've they've pushed on um, and they're a very mentally strong team Connacht I would consider a very mentally weak team uh, I don't know how you go about fixing that I don't think it's necessarily individual players maybe it is but uh, I don't know do you agree with that statement they're kind of a mentally weak team is there more of a comparison though Munster this year and where we're going to be next year is there more of a comparison with Munster at the end of last year when everyone was like they're shite just get Van Graan out and just work it out from the end of the season because it was just not clicking at all I, I think this is a longer issue though like you said it's it's kickoffs in one thing and mental mental downsides are another and they have been part and parcel of Connacht for the last couple of years so it is more than just this year but I don't think we can compare ourselves to Munster right now because Munster were implementing a system at the start of the season they were changing and adjusting to a new coach they lost a load of players through the Merging Ireland they had a rake of injuries so all of those things they were implementing all started to come together whereas Connacht really are at the end of a journey so they're at the end of a journey where mental fragility has been a key aspect of it so it's going to continue There's, I just don't think you change that this year but like you said, like bring someone in next year for sure, because your man, JB, I follow him on Instagram. Uh, yeah, and he's off in Harlequins, but it doesn't seem, it's not apparent that they've replaced him with anyone. And there is an issue there. And it has been there for a number of years now where we turn, we switch off after we scored, we switch off and get complacent when we're ahead. Is there a lack of leadership? I don't know. It's it's really hard to put your finger on what exactly is wrong, but I I just don't see it changing now before the end of the year so I think you just have to embrace the absolute madness and try and get yourself over the line a different way because the coaching tickets all even at the end of this year so well yeah but uh, you say that but like um the lack of leadership there was plenty of experienced players out there um do you know what I mean like I don't I don't I don't know why it just seems to always happen and I don't know if it's I, I again I, I don't know like if that happens against Dragons Dragons will win that game. I don't think you know what I mean. Like that's and that's like you're probably your easiest team you're facing in the next your last four games. Uh, Westy, what's your view on all this? Um, I, I think to say we're mentally weak is a bit harsh. Um, I definitely think there there are issues with the with the restart from uh, uh, with restarts, and there are issues where after we score we tend to to not switch back on straight away. But you just said it there when you're talking about the Zebra game when they come back to thirty four thirty. A few years ago, we lose that game, whereas we don't now. So I would argue that, yeah, okay, there are still problems, but I definitely see the progression. I definitely see the like. I definitely see how things have changed in the last few years in those, those regards. Like I was saying to you guys the other day, like um, if you look at, I think I said on the podcast last week, if if you look at the games that we've lost, like we're losing to teams that you can make an argument are better than us, like just in a broad strokes, right? Like I don't mean to be to blow anybody up or to put anybody down, but like we've won seven, lost seven in the league. So the seven we've lost to are Leinster twice, Ulster twice, Munster once, and the two South African teams. Like we're beating everybody else. And what's what's better is even look at the Ospreys game. They went three tries up and we came back. Like we've shown we have the mental fortitude. It's just that we don't have, we're not switched on for the 80 minutes is the problem. So I, I think mentally weak is really, really harsh to say to these guys. I think they, I think they're mentally strong. I think they have great resolve and great heart and great passion. I think there are gaps. I think there are moments we switch off that have to be addressed. And I also want to put it in context. If you count the European games, we've won 10, lost eight. This is actually statistically our best season in five, six years. So I, I do think the progression is there. I do think it shows that we've come a long way. There's just still work to do. Unfortunately, we've had such turnover in the last three or four years, every year, that I think that's contributing to us just not having that last element of cohesion that leads to these. Well, I think that I think the kickoff, the restart thing is is probably a, a more of a formation thing, but the switching off at times in the game is definitely down to. Um, I think to changes into rotations and to, um, yeah, just a, a little bit, a small bit that's lacking. But I think it's come overall. It's come a really long way in the last few years. Yeah, sorry, I don't, mentally weak is very harsh. I'm quite positive about the Connacht team overall. I just think maybe mental fragility is a better state, better phrase. Uh, I don't think that they are mentally weak. I think that they've shown resolve plenty of times and they've been kicked when they're down a lot of times. And there's a lot of animosity around 
the camp apparently at the moment and they still seem to be getting the results and they're getting over the line they're getting themselves through Europe so I think maybe it's just a fragility around aspects of the game being too far ahead is probably something that they'd like to work on maybe next year uh, and kickoffs just I I said jokingly on Twitter but I genuinely believe I'm at my wit's end at this stage that a big Sunday league centre back shouting away and volleying it out of the sky down as pitch as long as possible is probably the best route or course of action to go from now on because catching the ball doesn't seem to work for us the best exit we've had from a kickoff in the last while has been that one where Tom Farrell ran half the pitch uh, a couple of weeks ago where he caught it and he managed to step someone and just ran it down other than that it's been a nail-biting situation every time yeah but this is what I'm saying this is why I'm saying mentally weak that's an easy fix like what what's what's why is this not being dealt with it's been happening all this season and last season too like, they went from, they made a really difficult change of becoming a terrible maul and scrum and line-out to a really, really good one this year, in one season. And yet this little small problem and this this switching off, like, Wes, you're saying switching off, like, these are professional athletes, professional, you know, rugby players. And I know there has been a lot of rotation, but, like, I, I mean, like, there always seems to be, like, excuses, like, you know, oh, the, 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 the coaching turnover and the player turnover. And, the, like, there are obviously... There's validity to a lot of that, but at the end of the day, you have to. I don't know, like, what, why, why is this still happening? Like, <laughs> this yeah, is well, separate. You're talking about you're talking about plugging holes while new ones appear. Like you've just said, we spent two years. We've statistically the best scrum in the league. Whether whether we actually do or not now is is debatable. We've statistically the best scrum in the league, and we've one of the best lineouts in the league. These are obviously the areas they've focused on, and yeah, maybe it's poor planning. They've neglected other areas, but they've decided to work on giving themselves a great attacking platform. Now, yeah, look, I, I agree that, that you overlook a restart at your own uh, at your own folly, but they ha- it's not like we haven't progressed at all and you're saying, oh, why aren't they... Like, Honestly, you can't fix everything in a training session. You have to focus on certain areas and build up, and they've obviously picked the areas they wanted to focus on. So, um, yeah, and I, I do think part of it is with our formation. If we're trying to play a, bro- a wide, expansive game... You don't have you, you. It's not Sunday league rugby where you have pack left, pack right. You know, like anybody above our league plays spread across the pitch. And if you're especially lined up to run attacking lines off that, you're not resourcing the person who's catching the ball. And I think that's just a mistake in a maybe in our formation and our attitude towards the kickoffs more than anything else. I have a lot of time for a pack left, pack right. Just getting scrum formation stand there. Love it. It's it. Go back to basics. I reckon. I reckon that's where we're going wrong. We're not going pack left. That would, uh, even generally go back, yeah, just catching it and kicking it out. I'm I, like, I'm all for it. like just I take kick out it. any, you know, any. Get rid of the catch. Big Sunday League defender. Well, you could slice like, it and it big, could go anywhere. Big centre back just absolutely booted out of the air. No, just just slice it and you hit touch is more effective than what we've done the last. Yeah, do the opposite of what we're doing. I think is is the key here to going forward. But um, we look at the table and Connacht are in eighth. They have moved into the top eight uh, for first time this season. Um, on 35 points one point ahead of Cardiff in ninth, and 3 points behind the Sharks but they have a game in hand in 7th but um, you know it, as you said like on paper this is exactly what we wanted they're into the top 8 now if the season finished now they'd be in the playoffs um, and I don't they wouldn't get European Champions Cup would they currently no I think they need to be 6th or 7th probably for that um, but I think the big difference is like we said they've won 7 lost 7 like similar last year won the same games but this year we have a couple of extra bonus points already at this stage of the year um, and that was the difference last year from being in the top 8 to the top you know maybe 13th or 14th so um, they're getting the extra bonus points is what we needed and, and they are doing that now obviously with Dragons next in what's that a week next week uh, obviously not after next week, next week so after next week Nations then Dragons Dragons down at 15th, only won three games out of their 11. Obviously at home, different contests, but again, you'd be looking to win that game and pushing for a bonus point too. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Dragons would be looking at yesterday saying, obviously we could probably get to them, <laughs> get, you know, but, get a, you know, they're, they're away with us, but go ahead, Sam. You want, you want to beat Dragons for sure. You want to try and go for the five points because they are statistically their 15th, so that's where they are. If you look at the other games that are on that weekend, Edinburgh playing Leinster, that, you know, most likely a Leinster win. That's how the league seems to go at the moment. Ospreys and Benetton then are 10th and 12th, and they're playing each other. And Cardiff are playing Ulster, and I know Ulster are not the best bit of form, and it's in Cardiff, but it'd be a hard game for Cardiff. So that's actually, if we got a good win against Dragons, that's a bit of a buffer you can put between ourselves and those, because someone from Benetton or Ospreys, or not both, have to drop points. Edinburgh are going to be very hard to get points against Leinster. They could do it at home, and Edinburgh is a hard place to go. And Cardiff, you know, they 
they'll have their work cut out with them with Ulster. And then Sharks have Ulster, which I reckon they'll win because it's mid-Six Nations. But then they're away to Stormers. So there's actually a good opportunity there. And it's what we were saying pre-Christmas. And no, no one else seemed to really gather that, like, this half of the season was the winnable half. And the first half of the season, like Westy outlined earlier, we were, those away games were impossible. Like, we probably should have got maybe one extra win out of the Interpros. Uh, and we did ourselves out of a win in South Africa, but no one thought we'd get one anyway. But yeah, this half of the season was the one where we made the the run for it. And I never thought we were out of the running for seventh or eighth. Yeah, well, what's good about now is that it's actually, it's in Connacht's hands. Whereas like before you, like last year, we were looking for the results to go your way. This year, if they win out, they'll be top eight. You know, chances are. And then as you said, like the chances of Cardiff going unbeaten is probably slim. Benetton's the same. So, like, Connacht, you know, it's it's up to them. If they, if they do what they need to do, they'll get top eight. And, unfortunately, you might be rewarded with Leinster in the in the playoffs. But it's still, you know, it's what they would have set out at the start of the year to get to the playoffs. So, um, and then that would be a one-game spin-off. And then you never know. You never know one game what can happen. But, yeah, good. Overall, great weekend in terms of, you know, what, what Connacht wanted to do. If they can clean up a few things, then, you know, Dragons should be, that should be a win. And then after that, who knows, but... Um, overall, overall good weekend. Move on to another, another uh, a big, big win for an Irish side. Munster beating Ospreys fifty-eight points to three. Also scoring nine tries. Uh, Coombs, Fekatoa, Frisch, Carberry, Patterson, Coombs again, Zebo, Daly, and then Coombs for his hat trick um, in the last minute of the game. Uh, a pretty dominating win here for Munster. Sam, what was your views on this game? Yeah, well, Ospreys now all the Rick Morrell going around with. Wales and Welsh rugby, it was never going to be an easy game for them. Munster looked very good. Like you you want to caveat it with who they were playing against, but I get so frustrated when Connacht get a good win and then I have to hear that in the media. So I don't think it's particularly fair. Munster were very good. Frisch and Fekatoa. Fekatoa playing the ultimate, like, here's what you could have won, sort of thing. Like I'm I'm leaving now at the end of the season, mutual agreement, but this is what I was able to do this whole time. Um, himself and Frisch looked unbelievable in the center. Uh, Coombs just dominating again. I, I reckon he's getting into the squad for the Italy game. Uh, and you know, Patterson, he's he's been a really solid operator for them this year. They've got Casey and Murray going to Ireland camps and will continue to. And Patterson looks like he's not really skipped a beat. So I was impressed with everything Munster done. I said it on Twitter as well. Munster have gone this year from a team that looked very disjointed and were obviously trying to learn a system. And there was people in the media and on Twitter giving off about Roundtree saying he wasn't up to it. And I was going like, you can't. You can't assume a coach is going to have it sussed by Christmas. Like, it can take a full year to implement systems. We saw that with Pat Lamb. And it has done so much quicker than I thought it would. I didn't think they'd be this consistent after that first run of games. I thought they'd have a few good wins and a few bad kind of losses. But, no, they've gone from strength to strength all season. And they look like now... Two, two aways in South Africa is going to be extremely difficult. But if they manage to get a result out of one of them, they could be pushing top four there. And no one after the first four weeks gave them any hope of doing that. The talk was that Connacht were going to slip into the top eight ahead of them. And now look at them. They're in a league of their own ahead of us. Now we're kind of fighting for seventh, eighth. They're fighting for fourth, fifth. Like So it's you know, really, really impressive. Like I thought, I was just, I was so, so impressed with Frisch. And there was rumours last week that, you know, Leon were looking to maybe buy him out of his contract. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a little call-up into the Irish squad just to keep him hungry. Maybe not a cap, but a call-up into the squad for training the way Mac did it before he got his cap. Just to keep him, you know, in the understanding that he is in Ireland contention, he is in people's thoughts about Ireland because you just wouldn't want him to kind of have his head turned by the opportunity to maybe go play in France, home World Cup, you know, push for that Uh He's he's such a baller, and himself and Fekitoa looked unbelievable together. Yeah, like I totally agree that the opposition wasn't great, but Munster had to go out and beat them, and they did pretty comprehensively. Um, obviously, Coombs putting a, putting a, you know his name in the hat for obviously this Italy game, or at least a couple of uh, games coming up with Ireland. Obviously, that was that was a big talking point too. But Westy, your your thoughts on this Munster team? Were you impressed, or were you more uh, you know as Sam was saying, looking at the opposition opposition? No, well, it's a bit of both. I, I, I was very impressed. I was very impressed with the way Munster attacked. As I said, um, Fekitoa and Frisch, I thought, were uh, particularly uh, exciting in the midfield. I think there was a great, once or twice, had a great um, 12 wrapping around the 13 with uh, Frisch and Fekitoa. And I just thought it was, uh, they pulled it off so well. It was a lovely little, uh, lovely simple move they've implemented, and it just creates so much space out wide. Um, they've no short, shortness on the talent. Like, they clearly have the players to play this expansive game. I would caveat it. The only thing I would say about the opposition is that Ospreys gave them all the space in the world to execute it. But 
you can't underestimate the value of that. Like it's you're all well and good running a a, a drill and training, um, and then when you come up against Leinster and they're right up in your faces and you don't really get to execute it, you lose faith in it. Um, they can definitely use this game against like the Ospreys to instill faith in the game plan they're trying to build and show that it'll work against other teams as well and push on when they come up against the bigger teams in Europe or when they come up against the South Africans at the end of the season. If they're able to play like that down in South Africa, they will definitely worry uh, the big boys down there. So, um, yeah, I think I think Ospreys made them look a little bit better than they are. Um but it's a great plat. It was a great platform by then. It's it's about being ruthless. Like and like we should have been the same, really. You know, we don't put teams to the sword like that, and it's frustrating as a fan. So when you do come up against an opposition that give you the space to run, seeing them execute, seeing them execute so well, yeah, I don't see how you can have anything other than than good things to say about them. They're they're heading in the right direction. Um, they got a couple of lads back, but it wasn't like they had, you know, as Sam said, Paddy Parrison played really well. They didn't have Murray or, or, or Casey, as far as I know, did they? Um, it was somebody else on the bench, the other scrum half, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they had good likes of Coombs back, but, um, yeah, and he really, really put his hand up, I think. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't play against Italy, but it definitely is an opportunity now to get him slightly more involved. Um Scott but Penny's yeah. going to play ahead of him and people are going to lose yeah. their shit. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we, we will get to that in the Irish It's talk, already yeah. started on, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed with them. I thought they executed really well. I thought they're they're still progressing. They're still building that lovely food attacking game plan. And I'm kind of, I'm excited to see how they finish up the season. Yeah, no, they're 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 only going from strength to strength. They will be, yeah, they'll be, they'll be very confident going into the playoffs. Um, going to a team that isn't very confident, Ulster, uh, they fell to Glasgow on Friday night. A pretty miserable looking Glasgow, uh, weather wise, should I say. The team looked pretty good, but uh, Glasgow in seventeen points to eleven, and just it was it was a real it was a game where you know as a team you would have had to really dig deep and just kind of battle one out. Uh, and I don't think I was watching this game. I never really thought Ulster were going to do that. Um, it looked like it was just going to be all Glasgow, and it, you know, in seventy-four minutes, uh, Glasgow kind of put the the final nail in the coffin. That try, it just didn't. Did it, Ulster just don't look? Uh, I don't know. Didn't look like they were they, they were willing to go kind of where they needed to go to get that win. But Westy, I don't know. The, the game obviously wasn't a great one to watch, but not a good not a good watch back for Ulster fans. Yeah, it was, it was actually a tough one to watch back because I I watched the Munster match live and I watched the Ulster match back, and you know, to go from the two was quite stark. But yeah. Um, Interesting to see Glasgow kind of, you know, put it up the jumper and get a few tries, kind of, and almost say beating Ulster at their own game. Although I know they're they're quite capable of expanding where they were when they wanted to. Um, a really frustrating performance again, and I won't harp back to Connacht all the time. But th- if they had won, that would really help us out. Um, but it turns out that the other results went our way, so it worked out pretty well. But yeah, frustrating from Ulster again. Okay, they're missing a few players uh, with the Ireland squad, but. Um, a relatively strong, you know, an almost full-strength team that they sent out to Glasgow. And I just think it was a very limp affair overall, you know. Um, okay, the weather didn't lend itself to really expansive rugby, but, um, yeah, I, I was just surprised. That, I was surprised at kind of the lack of creativity from the Ulster side. Um, Glasgow seemed to have clearly eyed that up for a win, and they were pretty – they executed really well all they needed to. Um, yeah, I was just disappointed with the performance from Ulster – I'm not sure what's happened in the last three months uh, that's kind of put this slightly more negative style of play on them. Um, because as I said, they were playing slightly more expansive at the start of the season. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the season goes from here. They're, they're, they're still pretty safe in terms of getting into the, staying in the top eight and, and, and playing through. But I don't think, I think if you're an Ulster fan, that's not really good enough to, to go from a semi-final, a semi-final last year, you probably should have won. Um, to the great start they had to the season, and now to be in a place, I, I just feel I know they did. I know they they had moments where they played very well, but I just feel like they didn't really take any chances with it. They didn't really fire too many shots in the game, and that's what kind of left me feeling a bit wanting after after watching the game. Yeah, no, it's a great. I'm looking at the table here. They're they're still third in the game in hand, obviously, but they're only three points ahead of sixth. Um, and then you have another another. So you're six points ahead of seventh. So like. Two or three losses in a row, and you you are down near that that seven eight spot, and it's they're, it's a free fall then at that stage, kind of you know. Their game in hand is Sharks away next week in six nations. Like that's a, that's such a tough game. If they come out with a win, fair fucking play them because they're not going to have any of their Ireland contingents. That 
they're going away. I think it's the same time almost to kick off as Italy or similar. It's I think that's such a tough uh, game in hand. And it was all because of the shit show that happened, for, for want of a better phrase, when they went to South Africa the last time. Uh, not their fault, of course, but yeah. yeah it's, it's, not, not, they haven't really been rewarded for that, have they? With, no, it's <laughs> with, of circumstances. Uh, well, I want to talk about, the, obviously, as Ulster fans can feel kind of similar in a way to Connick fans. So, you know, a friend of the podcast, Peter Lockhart, who does the, the Red Hand podcast, He's giving out about the, the the transparency of the club um, and basically the lack of the lack of communication from the club. And Connacht were in the same boat, obviously, with the whole Bundy scenario, and like there was nothing really said by the club. It was a lot of vague, vague answers. Let's talk about that for a little bit, because obviously, in a dream world, obviously, yeah, the club would come out and say whatever happened with Bundy, this is what happened, and we're not playing him. This is whatever. I don't. We still don't know the full story. But like you look at Ulster, Marcus Ray, who's been tipped as a youngster, is playing AIL. Jake Flannery, who they got from from Munster, is tipped as a talented youngster. The likes of Crowley, whatever, um, he's playing AIL rugby as well. Basically, you know, kind of just coming out and taking away the 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 speculation out of it. But like, is there a reason why they can't do this? I was thinking of that. Is there contractual reasons? Is there whatever reasons? Because like. It would be easy for them to come out and just say what's happening and take away all the speculation as well. Because, like, we all know, Friendly was sick of fucking answering questions about Bundy and so was Pete Wilkins. And they don't want to be answering these questions and giving, you know, they're obviously afraid to say the wrong thing. Uh, it looks like Ulster may be in the same boat with that in terms of just a lack of communication with fans. Like, Westy, what do you think? Is it is it a case of they, 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 they might get in trouble legally or something along those lines? Or what do you think? Uh, well, I kind of hope that's what it is. I hope it's something to do with sharing data or sharing, um, sharing people's personal information. I was listening to something talking about the Netflix documentary in the Six Nations and basically talking about how you know I think Ireland kicked them out of the dressing room. I think Jack Conan said that he doesn't like them being around at all, and people are basically clamming up around them. And you kind of wish that everyone was like. Like you know, there, there there is a fear of like I say, giving away tactics. So like in the old situation, no, you don't want to say that um, such and such is out for three weeks because then people know you're light on. If they, if you say Jake Flannery is out for six weeks, he's rehabbing, then they know you're light on tens. I don't know, maybe some sort of strategic element. But my point is with the Six Nations thing. Um, I think I think it's like you know they don't want to give away their strategy, so everyone's clamming up. But they just prefer if everyone just gave everyone agreed to a certain level of transparency. Right, we're not going to show the playbook, but like. Let's just give open and honest interviews where we can. So it's it, like it's frustrating, but you see it across the board. So um, even you know, even with Connacht and the likes of Adam Byrne, you know, and sorry, this is every time you've asked me, I've gone back to Connacht. But we saw him in a moon boot at the start of the season. He was getting his ankle strapped up again. You know, that's obviously the same problem. He's getting his ankle strapped up in the middle of the Zebra game. So um, we we see that these issues are happening. You kind of feel like. Yeah, you've kind of been taken for a, a chump, you know, when, when the clubs aren't transparent with you. So, um, and look, if if it's bad news, the, the clubs aren't going to want to advertise it. So I, I can see, definitely see the, the logic, but as fans and, uh, you know, as, as supporters of the league and, uh, and of the teams, you, you, you want to know what's going on, with your, especially with your favourite players or with these young talents that were tipped. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, I think it's just across. I think it's just across the board. Rugby just seems to be quite a, a you know, uh, closed doors kind of sport. You know, and again, look at look at the look at the problems with the Welsh Union. Like that's all because it's been so heavily kept in one room for so long that now all these issues are bursting to the surface. So, um, I think we do it to our detriment. I think I think it's universal across clubs and nations, but um, I don't see how you know a basic level of transparency would be that detrimental to to any team. No, I agree fully because it's like Chinese whispers. Uh, like fans, fans looking for information will start to just make up these things in our head. Like we heard Bundy sold the house in Gaul, like in in Oranmore. That's like that's the level it got to in, in, around like Connacht because because again there was nothing. Like when when you're on these press conferences and like friendly who's normally very chatty gives you a short answer, it just makes you think you start thinking like wow he's not like that normally and you know it's just like that where they've come out and said it but as you said obviously there's a reason sam your thoughts on on, on transparency there's a lot in it uh, a couple of years ago connect had a page on their website which was players who were injured what they were injured with and how long they were going to come back much like nfl teams do but that stopped around about the time gdpr started taking off and the understanding was that that stopped because players it's legally they, that was private medical information and you couldn't just be divulging it 
you're protecting their assets, their their professional players. You know, you don't want ACL injury all the way out in the press because they have futures and contracts and stuff that they're going to need to negotiate. So there's that element to it, the transparency around internal fighting, internal whatever it is. You know, I know the Ulster fans are extremely frustrated about it. I'm a Connacht fan. I'm frustrated about it. But I actually don't think that Ulster and Connacht are in any way different to any sports team, really. I think where rugby actually falls down with its transparency is because comparatively to soccer, we don't have a big enough network of journalism. And it's that, that's how stuff gets released. I'm a Liverpool fan. Liverpool aren't coming out and saying Henderson was a dickhead and that's why he's been dropped. A journalist with The Athletic releases that because they've got insider information and there's so many journalists on the ground in football, the press conferences, people with access, people. And there, there's a whole bigger network of people within the club that's divulging this information. There was a, a big problem with transfer information being divulged out into the press before it was happening and teams were losing out on that so i think i think uh, ulster and connacht fall foul to the fact that there's not a bigger kind of network of uh rugby-based journalists that are getting this information and they're, they're closer knit clubs so it's not coming out you know the bundy situation he's contracted with the irfu and with connacht so they're only allowed say a certain amount of stuff and you cannot then start saying someone's a dickhead and they've fallen out with the coach because that that leaves you open to one ruining his relationship with you and the the club and also uh ruining his character other clubs not might not want to sign him down the the road and the same with like Marcus Ray and Flannery I saw a lot of stuff like Flannery should be playing Flannery should be playing yeah he probably should because Ulster have an issue at 10 you know they have Madigan they have Burns they have an issue at 10 but Ulster are going to come out and say he's been an asshole since he arrived and that's why he's playing club rugby because we don't want him. He's going back to Munster. But that could well be the case. No team is ever going to say that. The people that will say that and that will come out through journalists and rugby just doesn't have that network of kind of investigative journalism that are able to get a scoop. And that's probably why it seems a lot less transparent in my mind. And I do get really frustrated as a Connick fan. I'd love for them to come out and say Bundy's gone or Bundy's staying end of but they have they can't Andy Friend has said as much as he is probably contractually able to say which is I believe he'll be here next year that's what he said and then as soon as he said it like listening to the news on the way to school and or work in the morning they're like oh Andy Friend said he believes he'll be here but he was really sharp so I don't know if I want to believe him and I'm going well you're the one that's making the story now he said the sentence he's legally allowed to say so yeah rugby has a bit of a transparency problem I don't think it's as visible at Leinster because they're winning every week. So no one really cares who's falling out with who. But, you know, there might be some Leinster players that aren't getting their shot because they're dickheads. And that's just not being said. No one's questioning it because Leinster are winning. So Connacht and Ulster, both teams not on the best of trajectories at the moment. You know, Connacht are a little bit on the bump and Ulster had a good start season. But when it's not going well and stuff is happening, that's when people start asking for more transparency. And I actually don't think there's any difference between us and anyone else. American sports are super transparent. Every Tuesday, you get an injury update, who's going out with what and who missed training. In club rugby, I just don't think it happens. In soccer, it's transparent because there's investigative journalists and uh, outlets like The Athletic, which is a subscription service. So they have to provide you with stuff or they're not going to get people to subscribe. But you don't have that really in rugby. Rugby is so small. The community is so small. The rugby Twitter, like I know people on Twitter from... New Zealand, from Wales, from Ulster, from Leinster, who I've never met before, but I have regular conversations with them because that's how small and close-knit a society it is. Whereas, like, the soccer community is just a bunch of lads with pictures of Stephen Gerrard and their names are, like, LFC 1982 Love Heart. And it's like, so-and-so has done this because of The Athletic told me. And it's just a different community. But it's the transparency thing only really becomes an issue when you're not winning, I think. No, that's, that's actually some great points there as well. And yeah, like the American sports, legally they have to give injury updates, but a lot of that is because of gambling. So a lot of yeah. that is it's not even for the goodness, it's not for the good of the fans. It's purely because it affects the gambling lines. But um, no, it's just it was an interesting topic I wanted to bring up because both sets of fans have been have been critical of it, and you know I I totally understand that. But I knew it wasn't just as simple as the fan, the clubs don't want to tell the fans. But um, moving on to our last province, as always, boring, boring Leinster. 43 points uh, to 14, beating the Dragons, running in o- only seven tries, pretty poor considering Munster and Connacht scored nine, uh, but just yeah, another another win, another... Uh, Leo, Leo Cullen described their walk in the park as patchy at times, I was like, man, I wish that was our patchy, <laughs> come on man. You haven't seen patches, Leo, you don't even know what patches are, we were moulded by it. 
but yeah, it was just you know another another win. Westy, you know you're you're a pretty charismatic guy. You know, talk to me, uh, talk about this game and make me you know make me interested in it. Um, yeah, it's just <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge you ask me every week. Um, no, look, it, it's look, it's very promising. It's it's very promising for Leinster. It's very promising for Irish rugby to see this wealth of talent continue to stream through at an alarming rate. Um, I thought particularly likes Jimmy O'Brien. It was great to see him playing. Um, great to see him carrying so well. Um, you know, I really hope he's one that we do see play in the in the Six Nations before the tournament is out. I think he's been unlucky not to not to play until now. Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah. The, the youth coming through, obviously, like a, it's a, what do they call it, a production line of Leinster. Um, Dragons had some moments. The first try was really good. They really capitalised on a bit of sloppy Leinster defence. I thought maybe, well, I never thought they were really going to stay in too long, but I thought they might be able to hold on a bit longer. Um, it is promising to see. One thing I will give them, and I give Ospreys to a certain degree as well, is the fact that they stayed in the fight so much. The other two Welsh provinces were at home, actually won uh, this weekend, but it, it's so tough for them at the moment to get out and play. For anyone who doesn't know, um, Basically, none of them have been offered contracts for next year. They've been told they're going to be cut by 20 to 25% and that some of their wages may be performance-based, which in a sport like rugby is just really, really difficult to manage. Um, so these guys are going out knowing if they get injured, their life is over. Uh, there was a really good interview with someone, I think it was in the Times or was it the Telegraph? Um, it didn't name the player, but he said he's a new family. Uh, he can't get a mortgage. He's on antidepressants, and he know, and he's starting week in, week out for Wales, and his contract is up in May. So he's like, if I get injured, my life is over. Um, so I will say it, it's great to see. You could say that maybe that the, the that translates to performance, but you don't see it in the individuals. It's great to see these lads are still going out there with a will to play and a will to fight to the end and to the last minute, especially against the juggernaut that is Leinster. You know, it'd be very easy to turn up at that game and just stand there and let them run in as a form of protest to the WRU. But um, no, the, the fact that they, you know, even scoring late in the second half, you know, that shows that they stayed in a fight and that they were there to play rugby. Um, I think that's really impressive considering the situation all those guys are in. Um, Lens to do this to teams. You can't read too much into it. Like, what's Leo Cullen supposed to say? Yeah, yeah, another five points. Like, this is easy, lads. Yeah, he has is... to say something, you know? We this... need a bit of transparency in rugby, yeah. man. He just tell us how you really feel. Yeah, tell us, tell us your secrets, Leo. Uh, yeah, no, that was good, Wes. You may be interested, but it was more about the Welsh thing than Leinster. But, uh, I Sam, tried with yeah. Leinster, but I lost it a couple of times. No, yeah, I do, uh, just can't do change it. Lanes. They're boring. And I'm sorry, Leinster fans, but start losing, and then we'll talk about it more. Um, yeah, Sam, actually, Wes can't touch on the Welsh thing. We should cover that. If you want to, yeah, Wes, to give a good synopsis there. Do you want to give you your thoughts on, on, on the mess that is the Welsh rugby union at the moment? It's a long time coming uh, from talking to Welsh fans on Twitter, just a couple of fans of different uh, regions that I like. The, the regions have been in free-for-all, but Wales have been papering over the crack with their international team winning for so long. But finances seem to be quite here and there between the WRU. There were some badly used finances. That, I think Dragons are owned by the WRU and then there's a voting structure where the non-professional clubs have kind of majority vote it's, it's quite complicated and I don't really know the exact ins and outs of it from from the outside looking in you have to just feel for the individuals because you know Willis Alaholo he, he's an excellent player he's done so much for Wales he's come out and he said like look I don't know where I'm going to be I've a family I need I need some sort of uh, structure put in place or something you know just something concrete because there's players out of uh, contract coming up and they, they, they're they not getting mortgages. They're not guaranteed futures. So it is all over the shop, but it's kind of now mirroring where their regions have been for the last five years. I think that the international team up till Gatlin leaving had been quite successful and that had papered over the cracks of, of the mediocrity of what was underneath it. But now it just seems that no one really knows what's going on. There's a lot of infighting and there was a walkout at a sponsor's dinner. So they're they're obviously annoyed about it. The WRU, anything that I've read has been some very piddly little versions of uh, contracts or piddly little versions of potential fixes. You know, one, Wes, you were saying, you know, the, the uh, performance-based, another one that was you could just be moved between regions if you weren't playing well. Uh, at a whim 
a kind of on a, on a loan system, which just doesn't work for people who have kids and they have to drop them to school or they have lives. So I think the whole thing is just a complete and utter clusterfuck. And it's not good in the long run for the league and the Six Nations if Wales aren't competitive. You want more competitive teams. You want it to be... We we go on every year in February about how the Six Nations is the the best rugby tournament in the world. But if you had a Wales that were faltering, you know, and then an Italy kind of going back to their median, and then a France that are hit and miss, you know, they're on the upward trajectory at the moment. England aren't doing too great either. You're actually you're ruining that opportunity to have the best tournament where players want to stay, and then players want to stay in Ireland because they want to do that. So it all it is it's it's all interlinked, and you want Wales to be competitive for the sake of the league and for the sake of the six nations so it is yeah it's depressing enough watching the game at the weekend for dragons i commended them for playing uh as as much as they did and i actually thought that they looked like at points they were making leinster nervous which made me nervous because they're our next game and i think that they'll be a different beast at home so albeit they lost 43 13 they weren't too bad uh they were actually there there was parts there and they have players like ross moriarty team basham that will always always cause you problems so the entirety of Wales is a bit of a clusterfuck, but all the players can do is play the game that's on the pitch when they do. And if if they choose not to, I'm supportive of that. I think that everyone in the rugby community is supportive of that because that's people's livelihoods. And I'm, you know, I'm quite vocal about like working conditions for teachers in this country because I am a teacher and it affects me directly. And that by being vocal about that, I think that you have to also be supportive of people that are vocal about their vocations or their their situation, their professional situation. So. That's a shame. Uh, on a darker note, as a Ireland and Connacht fan, if the regions are struggling to offload players, there's a couple of decent players available that I wouldn't wow. mind. Uh, uh, Jack Regan, maybe. Uh, he's been holidaying in Galway a couple of times and he's only got a year left if they need to get him off the books. Uh, uh, Viva Fida, I wouldn't mind taking from Scarlet's. Uh, even I mean, JJ, I they're think. They're not even dead yet, Sam, and you're picking over the carcass they're not even dead speaking yet. of transfers sam might not be premature on this because joe hawkins just signed for extra about two hours ago oh um, so joe hawkins has started at center in the first two games he's been one of the bright sparks of wow. the autumn internationals and the six nations and they've already lost him um and as i said it's threatening to not play the england game now i don't think it'll go that far because that would result in WRU having less money to pay them. So that would be kind of a shooting your, biting your nose. Yeah, your but, face, but. Uh, sometimes you need to do something crazy like that to really grab the attention of people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes but, it takes something ridiculous like that. It would, but it's, it's more of a structural issue than just a pay issue. Like, as Sam said, so I was listening, I was reading an article and listening to a podcast earlier today. So basically, the, the WRU are not under any financial commitment to fund the franchises. The franchises are independent bodies. They, they are, WWE only fund them in times that they're doing well. They so own during, the Dragons, though, don't they? Did they they bailed out the Dragons. I don't know if they actually own them, but they bailed them out a few years ago. Whereas the other franchises had to take loans off Sport Wales um, in order to survive COVID. So, like, they don't have this natural... Like, we forget because, you know, it happened when I was a kid, but these, these franchises are purpose-built. They're not necessarily built around catchment areas. Like now, we have accidentally have the perfect system in terms of we already have provincial lines and, and all that built into kind of our culture. So it it makes sense that our um, the IRFU divide up the province and the provinces govern each region. You know, if 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 I have a problem, we go to the Connacht branch. We don't go to the IRFU. You know, and Wales don't have that built-in support to each of the province each of the franchises. They've been trying to build it for years. But it's been a really slow process. And it's been even slower because, as, as, as Sam said, uh, all of the local clubs have a voting power on the governing body of the WRU. So they're not even filtering through the, pro- the franchises. The franchises are completely alone, living off the scraps and trying to build professional contracts. So it's, it, it needs a full overhaul, really. And, you know, if it takes striking the England game for them to get that, then I'll back them, man, if, if that's what they have to do. I don't think it will come to that. I hope it doesn't come to that, but I back them for sure. You'd love to see them pack left, standing in the <laughs> uh, in the scrum position, and then standing for eighty minutes. Like it would be the most monumental sports protest. I think maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will get in this like, into my mentions and be like, "How could you forget about the '76 Atlanta Ducks?" Who, well, I think uh, back <laughs> to Muhammad Ali not going to war was pretty big. Uh, not not to compare him to the Welsh Rugby Union, but you know that was pretty big too. That's a big sports part. I'm talking about like in the sport, like doing it. Like he didn't not go to war in the ring. He didn't go to war as a person. I'm talking about literally on the pitch, wearing their gear, deciding not to play. Like 
It would I think just a team be... did that in Belgium or something, protested the referee. There was a video going around on like Instagram or Facebook a few years ago where they just stood there and your team ran in like 120 points. Unbelievable. Yeah, why not? Um, yeah, look, that was good to talk about that. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll bring it up again when we hear more. But yeah, obviously, hope they can resolve that. Uh, we'll finish up with some Irish rugby news. Obviously, the uh, Italy game is this weekend. Italy game tends to be the game where you see some new faces and there was a squad update. So... Um, Keen Healy and Dan Sheen are both kind of uh, making their way through their, their rehab programs. Uh, Joey Carberry has been added to the squad as Johnny Sexton continued his rehab. Um, Blade, Gavin Coombs, Larmer, Jimmy O'Brien, Jimmy Osborne, Keen Prendergast, Roman Salanoa, and Jacob Stockdale returned to the squad. And then there's two new additions with Scott Penny and Kieran Treadwell being back, uh, added for the first time this campaign. Um, obviously, Scott Penny is the big talk and friend of the podcast. Owen Harrison uh, had a brilliant thread about this and that it's it's it doesn't look good for for the IRFU and also doesn't look good for David or David uh, Nusfora uh, that Scott Penny has been called up to the Irish squad ahead of say he didn't really mention other players but it this is not new this is not new news in terms of we've been saying this for a while as well the history of oh yeah leave Leinster and you'll get more game time with Ireland it's just not true um we have several examples of that happening in terms of Jordy Murphy went up to Ulster to do that didn't get didn't get any game time hasn't played for Ireland since if I'm not mistaken maybe I am mistaken but Scott Penny has played very very little high level rugby for Leinster and Scott Penny has been an example I've often brought up because Scott Penny should be a household name and I don't think unless you're really into rugby I don't think a lot of people would know if I went to my mates back home who's Scott Penny they wouldn't have a clue uh, whereas obviously they would know the bigger names and that's a shame and I think that is something that Ireland or the IRFU should be I don't want to say they should be ashamed of this because I understand why the, the system is the way and some people don't want to leave but the, the the system should be in place where Scott Penny should be like oh I, I'm not getting playing here he should want to go to a different province again you're not leaving you know obviously leaving home is tough but you're not going to fucking Baghdad like do you know what I mean um so like this is the this is the problem is that someone like Scott Penny has been rewarded with an Irish call up, whereas other players who are playing week in week out, playing more high level rugby, uh, are not being rewarded. So uh, Sam, I'll try to you first. Your thoughts on basically the like Scott Penny and called up, and maybe you know what the the point that Owen was making. Owen's thread on Twitter articulates better than anything I can do. So I'd suggest to anyone who's listening to this to go and read it because it's brilliant. Uh, I think. My frustration isn't with the player. I think Scott Penny actually is probably your best candidate for it. The Leinster seconds and thirds have regularly dominated Connacht and Ulster and Munster in games, and Scott Penny's been part and parcel of that. It's the fact that he's 10 minutes of Champions Cup. He's not first choice as province. And my frustration is at the situation that has allowed this to unfold, not at the player and the choice to call him up. I, I feel that the situation in which Leinster have such an abundance and such a backlog of players that they're second and third choice players that will never be picked in a big game for them when people are fit are being picked ahead of the province the provincial players the other provinces that are key men like Connor Oliver and Josh Hadden are two of the first names in the team sheets in their respective provinces and they don't get a look in Connor Oliver was probably never even in anyone's discussion for this week when Scott Penny was called up Scott Penny is class and he scores a try every time he plays there's no denying that and he's probably fully deserving of it because he's so young as well. It's my frustrations at the situation that's just allowed this to happen and just allowed Leinster to be so dominant. And it, you know, it pains you to see it because it really just kind of in your mind solidifies the idea that actually the IRFU wouldn't care if it was 23 Leinster players in an Irish squad and that the four proud provinces thing is not really in the forefront of their mind. Winning is and winning is great. It makes it harder to support the national team as a prov- provincial fan. I've heard people given out about that and saying, oh, provincial fans need to be Irish fans first and I'll get to fuck. Uh, I can support who I want first. And I'm a provincial fan first and foremost. I love Ireland and I like seeing them do well and I'll always support Irish players, but actually that's not how I feel. Uh, And I feel like the more that this happens, the more unlikely it is that players are going to move and the further the gap is going to happen. And because of the socioeconomic situation surrounding Leinster and the uh, private school system that does just flood them with fully professional players who are 18 years old, who have four or five years of huge strength and conditioning with some ex-pro internationals or ex-pro coaches um, helping them along their way. It's just making it harder and harder to compete. And then it's that is solidified by the fact that their second and third choice players are justifiably put, called up. Not 
it's not an injustice that Scott Penny's been called up. Scott Penny is a brilliant player and he'll score two tries for Ireland before the end of Six Nations, guaranteed. But it's the situation that has allowed that that frustrates me and that's what annoys me. Uh, so whenever I'm giving out about it on Twitter, if people want to, you know, don't jump on me saying, oh, you you think Oliver should be pulled, called up ahead of him. I'd love for Oliver or Hodnett to be called up ahead of him. It's actually just the, the situation that I'm frustrated with. No, it is. It's, it's yeah, it's like, why would you ever, like, when it's more lucrative and attractive to to play, you know, say an average of twenty minutes a game for Lens or even less, than it is to go to an Ulster or to a Connacht or to a Munster and you know become a a star, that's when the system is flawed or there's some there's something going on that's wrong and like obviously there's several reasons for that as you say socioeconomic, uh, where like you know Lens probably pay pay Scott Penny fucking nothing. But it's the the life the, you know the life of them around them the situation around them that they can afford to do that. You can't do that when you're in Connacht. You can't do that necessarily even in Munster or Ulster, um, and and that's an issue. And yeah, like I totally understand people being disenfranchised a little bit with the Irish national team if it gets to a stage where it's you know twenty three Leinster lads and they might be the best team in the world, but like you know, like it like it's it's so much fun watching Finley Beelham do well for Ireland. Like it's so much fun. Seeing Mac on the wing being like, yeah, like, you know, three years ago, no one knew who the hell he was. And now he's a superstar and he plays for your team or whatever. So it's, it's, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a weird one. Westy, what are you, what's your thoughts? Um, yeah, like, I, th- I think it's a little bit more boring than the emotionally rousing speech Sam just gave. Um, look, it's no secret Ireland play a heavily Leinster-based system. You know, our game plan is based off a Leinster game plan. Like, that's obvious to everyone who watches. So, these Leinster players fit in better. And you have to remember that Andy Farrell is preparing for a World Cup. He, I fully believe that his plan was always to add Joey Carby at some point during a tournament or to add other players. Because what he's working on now is, obviously, he's establishing um, his first team and, and the way we're going to play and establishing our strategies. But he's also making sure that he has a backlog of players that he can call during the World Cup to come and that they're not starting from square one. So it makes sense to have someone like Scott Penny into the squad. If he's at that level, he plays that system in Leinster, it's pretty easy for him to catch on to the Ireland system in a camp for a couple of weeks. And in less time, maybe that would take a Conor Oliver, who's, it would be his first time in a camp in however many years. He has one cap or two caps, doesn't he? Um, so, yeah, the, like to, I might be wrong, but to me that's what I, appears to be happening is, you know, getting players up to speed for the World Cup. And as I say, it's a Leinster-based system. So Scott Penny benefits from that. He's also a fantastic player. He played really well um, on the tour to South Africa, I think, for Ireland. He was heavily involved there. Um, he probably will, uh, yeah, again, because it's and it's Leinster teammates, right? it's a Leinster-dominant team in terms of players as well, not just style. So he slots in easier with a back row of, uh, let's say, uh, Doris and Van der Fleer, probably. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think... And look, we just said how Leinster are winning teams with their thirds, they're winning games with their third string team out. So you can't be too shocked. I do think there's a flaw in the system. I think there's something like 16 central contracts out there. Peter Matty just got one today. But, you know, at least, well, more than half of those, eight to 10 of those, are all in Leinster. And there's no way any other province can compete when you've got your 10 highest earning players paid for. Um, you know, that's the reason Leinster are able to play 50, 60 players a season. And, and you know, We've had years in college where we've been denied injury jokers because, well, you know, tough shit. Um, so, yeah, look, and again, you can't take it out of the player. I'm delighted for him to be in the squad. I think he's great. I think he's a fantastic player. But the incentive needs to be better to move. And, you know, we do have to look at a certain point of if players aren't playing regular rugby, you know, I don't say, I'm not saying you have to have a cap on or a, a threshold of the master pass to be in the Ireland squad. But, you know, what's everyone else doing? <laughs> you know, what's the point? <laughs> No, I I totally understand. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's yeah, it's hard to know what the situation. Do you dedicate, you know, tr- three center contracts p- per province, and then the rest can be kind of wherever. Um, that would be obviously a, that would be, I suppose, a, a smart way of doing it. But I don't know why you can't get that over the line. I'm sure there are some reasons. I will say this. Uh, I tweeted during while we're recording this about uh, Owen's tread, saying that um. You know, we're talking about this in the podcast, Great Tread, and he just responded. So mid-record, he just responded saying uh, he'll have a listen in the morning when he's walking the dogs. He goes, hopefully you dedicated a full half hour to the melts in his mentions. They deserve the real <laughs> credit. So I think uh, Owen's been getting some pushback, shockingly enough, on rugby Twitter uh, about that. But uh, just wrapping up with this, I think, yeah, you want to get to a system where 
you know, yeah, you you need regular first team rugby, and that is more lucrative than being third choice at Leinster. That seems obviously very obvious. <laughs> that like you know, but obviously that's not the case at the moment. No, and like Scott Penny's class. But what's also damning is that if it wasn't Scott Penny, it would be Max Deegan or Will Connors. And they're both also a Lannister. It's, it's not they're just both also Scott class. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. It's not just the same. It's that it's all of the third choices. It's not just one of their third choices. It's all of their third choices are class. Uh, and it's a lot of it's out of jealousy, but there is a frustration on my part uh, as a fan of another province just to see us talk earlier about mental fragility and about, you know, struggling to get over the line and to look down the road and just see the team that just don't have those same sort of issues or worries. Also, it's a bit rich of us complaining about this as we just uh, discussed the WRU uh, Welsh Rugby Union and then possibly not existing. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably not a lot of sympathy from the Welsh fans listening to this. But, uh, yeah, look, I think... No, I saw Sam Warburton get attacked by Cardiff fans the other day for signing a central contract a couple of years ago and essentially fecking up their finances so there'd be more in that as well central contracting systems aren't without their flaws either you know ourselves in new zealand do them quite well new zealand do a half version of what we have we have it quite well and we've managed to tie down a lot of our best players over the last number of years but you know they're not without their flaws either it's it's they're if the central contracts were the way to go 100 percent, then all the players would be on them. anyone who's ever played for ireland would be on them because you'd be keeping them here but they're not so they are, you know, they're brilliant, but they're not without their flaws. And they're also just contracts as well. Like, there's a lot of, how is he on a central contract, Peter O'Mahony, for instance, today? And Josh Vanderfleer isn't. Because like, he signed with Leinster, and he's happy with that deal, and they're happy with that deal. So get over it. Who pays him is who pays him. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, and O'Mahony still has a lot to offer Ireland. I will always defend O'Mahony, um, even for one more year of such contract. But look, we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back next week to recap the Irish... Um, as is all Six Nations Irish game, we'll be back with our fans' old predictions and, and an update on the league there as well. So if you haven't done uh, or haven't joined that, get joining, uh, download the app and use the code NONE to join our league. Um, and yeah, I think we'll leave it up there, boys. Uh, an I hour, an cashed hour. in one of my Guinnesses oh, that nice. I won. What pub? I, I, I had midterm, so I got a midweek pint. Yeah, midweek pint is actually, I would say that's the best pint. Yeah, it's very rare for me, but I managed to get one yeah. Thursday night. Got a pint in the Thatch in Oranmore. Oh, cashed nice. in my fans, though. Yeah, nice one. Wait, we were a bit like, don't know what that is. Uh, it took them a while to register. I don't know. <laughs> Probably out of sight, out of mind. But uh, once once they got it, they got it. Happy days, happy days. Yeah, well, hopefully hopefully everyone else is enjoying some free Guinness, too. Uh, but yeah, we'll wrap it up there. That was a, that was a pretty long one for us, but uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for listening. And yeah, we'll be back next week. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Bye.